Thank you, Benjamin. Great work there. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you, everyone. Hey, so uh, <clears throat> this morning, so uh, we've uh, got not just Benjamin, but all the kids are in here. It's a family worship weekend. So uh, one of the things that those who study these things have learned is that one of the best things we can do for our kids to help them maintain a flourishing faith as they become adults is, is family worship on the regular. So every week, our kids are in here for part of the service with us. Once a month, they're in here for the whole service. That's, uh, that's today. So we're stoked on that. And um, and that also means that all of our, uh, our kid life workers are in here today, too. So shout out to the kid life workers. We're so thankful for all of you. Thank you so much for ministering to our kids. They are our first and nearest mission field, and so we're, we're so thankful for that. So, hey, today we, uh, we start a new series as we come into the season of Lent, and the series is called How to Grow. This is spiritual disciplines for ordinary people, right? People like you and me, people who have jobs, people who do things, people who are trying to go about very busy lives, spiritual disciplines, practices to help us come into the presence of Jesus and to grow. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks, is looking at some different practices, giving you some, some different tools that you can grab onto in terms of your own spiritual growth. And uh, if, if you really think about this, like there is no downside in this. This is like a win-win, right? Because what God wants for you is actually, whether you recognize it or not, is also what you want for you, right? If you were to have a life that is characterized by more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, if you have more of all those things, you are going to love your life, right? Think about that. I mean, it absolutely guaranteed. Whatever other circumstances are going on around you, you are going to just love your life more if more of that is going on you. And, and, and that is what God wants for you. Jesus does not intend to lay anything burdensome or ill-fitting on you. He wants that for you too, for you to embody an inner character that looks like his. That's the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. All of our spiritual practices are towards that end of putting us into a place of being present with Jesus and allowing him to do his transforming work in us. Today, so we're starting the series with this. I want to introduce you to a concept. Some of you know it already, but it's called the rule of life. Rule of life. And this is a, uh, this is a term that actually goes back to some of the early monastic communities. The monks would adopt this language to talk about their plan for their spiritual growth. And uh, today, I want, to, I want to kind of give you some framework for that. And then as, as we kind of have a, a framework for this plan, what are the kinds of practices that we want to have in our rule of life? Uh, then we'll go ahead and, and fill in those blanks in the weeks to come, yes? So the idea behind a rule of life, the, the uh, kind of language behind this, it, it goes to this image from the garden, and it's an image of a trellis, right? Do you know this, all of you with your robust gardens, right? Um, uh, urban gardeners in the house. 
Uh, a trellis is, is this thing that you have that helps the vines know which way to grow, right? It, it strengthens them as they grow so they can grow in the right direction, grow in the right way. That's the idea behind a rule of life. It's a trellis. It's a plan for our spiritual formation. Now, um, we're going to start today with the passage that Benjamin read for us. Uh, our guide this morning is going to be the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Anyone, is this person familiar to any of you? He's this, like, even as Old Testament prophets go, he's like extra fiery, uh, extra sassy, uh, just this really kind of interesting wild man of a character. And if you know that name at all, you probably know him uh, from this episode in his life that we talk about with the showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? And there's this whole thing where they're trying to prove whose God is the real God. And you've got Elijah over here uh, contending for the God of, of Israel. You've got the prophets of Baal contending for their gods. And they, they have these altars, right? These altars with a sacrifice on them. And they're seeing whose God is going to bring fire down from heaven and ignite this altar. And it's, it's this whole scene. You can read that one. That's the backdrop to the story we're doing today. But it's, it's important for our story. But, but go and read it. It's, it's quite a thing. At the end of it, fire comes down from heaven. You know, the, the God of the Bible does this thing. There's this whole deal where all the, the evil prophets are taken out and all of this. It's this, this huge, huge deal in the life of Israel and of Elijah. A ginormous display of God's power. And that's where our story this morning picks up. Uh, it's right after that happens. And uh, we'll start with chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, this is the king and queen of Israel, evil king and queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Because... This is kind of shocking in light of what just happened before. Like, really, moments before was this whole episode with fire coming down from heaven, God doing this incredible display of power, one of, one of the biggest you see in the Bible under any circumstance. And now here's Elijah, and he gets this threat from this king and queen, and he's terrified, and he's running, and he's depressed ordered on despair, saying, God, take my life. And also, he, he's resigning as prophet, right? He says, I'm done. I've done no better than my ancestors. Nothing's going to change. There's still an evil king and queen in power. Why am I even doing this? I'm done. Forget it. Burnt out, God. I resign. I quit. And then, and then. So, actually, let me pause there for a moment longer. Here's the thing that I love about this, and I love this about the Bible in general. This is so honest. 
right? I mean, maybe you read this and you scratch your head and you're like, how in the world could you lose faith so quickly, right? God just did this huge, huge, huge thing. And then the next day, you're all depressed. What's the deal, Elijah? Now, probably, you've never called down fire from heaven. That's my guess. But I'm, I'm going to say, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, I'm going to say there have almost certainly been a time or two or three or four or ten in your life where God has been so present and so real that you say to yourself, I will never doubt him again. Right? It's maybe that prayer that you're like, there's, there's no way, right? This is literally a Hail Mary prayer. Like, there is no way God's going to come through in this, and somehow he does. Or it's that time when, when you needed comfort, and nobody even knew, but God, like, sends somebody, and it's like, gosh, it was, God, like, delivered an angel into my life at that moment. Or there's, there's a time where you, you've just been in tremendous need, or that time where, like, you should have died in that car crash, and you didn't, and, you know, all the things. But probably there has been a time for you when God has been so real, so close, so personal, that you said, I will never doubt him again. And then life hits you in the face. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's the point? Where are you, God? I thought you were there for me. This is real life. This is where Elijah is at in this moment. And as we continue in the story, this is what I want you to be listening for. So God cares for Elijah in four particular ways, and these are the ways he cares for us too. And we're going to have this on the back of our minds as we're thinking about our rule of life, our spiritual disciplines. How do we engage the presence and power of God in these ways to receive God's care and to continue to grow into the likeness of Christ? So Four areas, four buckets, if you will, and we're going to place our spiritual disciplines into these. First is physical. Verse 5. It says, Then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So, the first way that God cares for Elijah is physical. This is the first thing. God tends to what Elijah's body needs. And I I just love the whole scene here, right? Elijah wakes up to the smell of fresh bread, and there's there's cool water next to him in a jar. This is a big deal. They're in the desert, right? And there's been a drought, too. So there's water there. This is huge. And there's fresh-baked bread. And the angel, angel nudges him and says, Hey, wake up. Eat something, drink something, and then he goes back to sleep. These, these to me are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. This, this, is, this is how it says it in the translation called The Message. It says, Elijah ate the meal and went back to sleep. 
And God's people said, Amen. (laughs) Friends, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to take a nap. You and I have a body. God made us as whole people, body, mind, and spirit. None of these are separate. All of these are are, uh, in play with one another at all times. And when one is affected, the others are affected. What happens in your body, this matters in your spirit too. Right? The same is true of, of your emotions. I think we're probably a little more in touch with this one than maybe the physical. But your spiritual life is deeply affected by your emotional health as well. And by your physical health, which is what we're seeing here in Elijah. Uh, so, um, years back, I, uh, uh, when, when I was doing my doctorate, I was studying with a man named Dallas Willard. Some of you will, will know that name. Um, but one of the things that we did for this class is we spent two weeks together in a monastery learning and practicing the spiritual disciplines. It was great times. Not all of you are like, oh, that sounds delightful. But it was, it was a tremendous experience for me. But here's the thing. So day one, Dallas says to us, your first assignment is to get 10 hours of sleep every night that you're here. And we actually laughed. Like, we thought he was kidding, right? Who gets 10 hours of sleep? But he wasn't laughing. And he says, I know, I know, that's a lot. And he says, if you find you're not able to do it, at least be in bed for 10 hours. You can read, whatever, but I want you to get 10 hours of sleep every night. And uh, this, so th- these are doctoral students. One of the requirements of the program is you had to be in full-time ministry even to be in the program. So, like, we're busy, right? These are people who are used to being busy. And this has sounded ludicrous, and we're all kind of grumbling to each other about it. But, you know, sure enough, turn in early, do our best to get 10 hours of sleep. Breakfast the next day, everybody's just grumbling. They're like, how's anybody supposed to do this? This is ridiculous. Has any human ever slept for 10 hours? It makes no sense, right? I once had walking pneumonia. I couldn't sleep for 10 hours. Everybody's just grumbling. (laughs) The next morning at breakfast, people were like, "Eh, it wasn't too bad. I did a little better last night. Eh, whatever, and they move on. Day three, people are like, I feel kind of good. In fact, I feel better than I've felt in a long time. Day four, people are starting to say, I don't know if I can ever go back to the way I was before. That's how far out of touch we were with our body's need for rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, friend, is just to care for your body. Now, we're going to spend a whole week on this in a couple of weeks, but I, I, just, I just want to plan a thought here. What if, what if, you, let's take three big categories, right? Our food, what we eat, our exercise, and our rest. What if in those three areas we started to change the way we think and not just think of these things as physical needs or physical practices, but as spiritual disciplines. Ways that we meet the God who is meeting us 
in caring for us in the various ways that we need to be cared for. In utilizing this as a way to meet Jesus and to be further grown into his image. Like, what if with, with food? I know we're meddling anytime we talk about food. But what if with food? We think of it not just as, as fuel for our bodies. It is. But not just as fuel for our bodies. And what if we think of it not just as something that brings us pleasure, and it is, and it should be. God has designed it that way. But what if we think about it not just that way, but we also start to think about when I make a healthy choice in that area, this is a way that I am honoring God with my body and looking for him to do his work in me. Same thing with exercise. What if when you go to exercise and whatever it is that that you like to do, whether that's walking or you go to an exercise class or you lift weights or you swim or you do sports, whatever the case is. What if you approach that not just thinking about, I need to burn X number of calories or not just thinking about, I want my body to look a certain way. But you approach that thinking, what if this is one way that I honor God by trying to be a good steward of my physical life? Right? Same thing with sleep, with rest. Sabbath keeping is, is a spiritual discipline that in part goes into this bucket. Right? God designed us to need rest. And then he commands us into this rhythm where we get rest. It's very nice of him to do that. Right? You, you getting the, the idea here? We're going to come back to that one. Hold that. We'll be back at it in a few weeks. But this first bucket is the physical. God meets us. He wants to care for you and I in the physical. And this is part of how he's going to grow us in our faith as well. Spiritual growth through physical stewardship. That's one, is the physical. Second is the emotional. Now, listen to this conversation that God and Elijah have and note how tenderly God deals with Elijah. This dialogue, by the way, happens two times. Listen to it. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Right? That's verses 9 and 10. It's also verses 13 and 14. This dialogue happens twice, and it's verbatim each time. And you ever do this? I'm, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too dogmatic here. I'm not sure this is exactly what's going on, but I see this dialogue repeated twice. Elijah saying the exact same thing about where he's at and how awful things are, and I'm the only one, and da-da-da. And I know for me, sometimes, sometimes especially when I'm kind of in a darker place, I will get a narrative of what all this means and what my life is like, and then I fixate on it. I kind of ruminate, and it just kind of plays again and again and again. Do you know what I mean? Does anybody do this? I know you do, right? You fixate on it, and, you know, whatever it is in your case, you know, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll never be any good. I'll never be any good. It was what my dad said about me, he was right. You know, whatever the case might be, I'll always have the struggle. It's never going to go away. Here's one of mine. Uh, one of mine is, is, I'm such an idiot. Right? I'll do something wrong. I'll have some kind of a blunder. I'll be like, ah, 
such an idiot. I can get fixated on this. I've had um, this true confessions. So two situations going on just over the, the last handful of weeks. Uh, this, uh, this car that I bought last year has just been, just been like hanging around me like an albatross on my neck. Everything goes wrong on it. And I'm dealing with this thing. I'm like, ah, oh, gosh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe this. Another situation, I've been doing some side work for our denomination and things aren't coming together the way they're supposed to. I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. Such an idiot. Do you have some of those? You have some of those scripts that play in your mind? Okay, so Elijah, the tapes are playing, right? God, this is my story. This is what's going on. And God, significantly, God invites him to speak what's going on in his head and his heart. And then he just holds him. There's no rebuke. There's no correction, right? If I was God, I'd be like, hey, 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 Elijah, now let's break this down, right? Are you sure everything in your little narrative is actually accurate? Let's just kind of go bit by bit, piece by piece through this, can we? There's none of that. There's no rebuke for his insolence. There's nothing. God just invites Elijah to give his little rant, and then he holds him like a big, strong father. God just holds him in the midst of all the fields and all the things, and he's just present there with him. This to me, like, this to me is the biggest lesson of the Psalms, right? As you read through the book of Psalms, so approximately 50% of the Psalms are thank you God Psalms, and the other half are help me God Psalms, right? And the help me God Psalms, they're just raw, Right? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to let my enemies triumph over me? How long are people going to slander me? And God, how long this and how long? And it's kind of like this big complaint session. They just keep going. Some are a little whiny. I, I can't help it. It's true. But the message there that I take away anytime I'm deeply in the Psalms is God can handle my big emotions. God wants me to come to him raw and real with where I'm really at, not where I think I'm supposed to be at. Because that's a temptation, right? To come to God in prayer or whatever form and kind of get ourselves cleaned up first, right? Kind of get it all together and, and in a dignified way come and talk to God about our needs and our wants. The Psalms are the opposite, Come raw. And that's what I get in the story with Elijah too. Two times. God just puts out the question. Where are you at, Elijah? And just holds him while he pours it all out. So friends, for our rule of life, we need to be thinking about, so what are some spiritual disciplines that I engage in? What's part of my rule that helps me Engage God from the aspect of my emotions. What are some spiritual disciplines that help me engage God on that level? Right? I might need that more than some of you. I have a tremendous capacity to intellectualize the faith and like live like a head faith with a little bit of heart. Maybe some of you are the opposite, but it, it doesn't matter for each of us. 
we need to engage in spiritual disciplines that are going to help us engage with the Lord on that level. Right? I mentioned the Psalms. For me, praying the Psalms is huge in this regard. And that's part of my daily prayer time just about every day is praying through a Psalm. And what it does for me is uh, sometimes I have a hard time being able to articulate, sometimes even to kind of identify what all the feels are at any given time. But the Psalms give me language for it. It helps me enter into somebody else's prayer if I don't necessarily have my own and pray that and pray out of that space. Does that make sense? Journaling is another one for me. When I pray, I often journal, and especially if, if I'm kind of dealing with something emotional. I'm, I'm not always the best at verbalizing it, or if I'm you know, praying silently, I'm silently praying it, but if, if I have to write it, it, it engages me a little bit more emotionally. Here's another. Having a, a close spiritual friend that you trust enough to be honest for accountability and for prayer. Man, that's big. That's a way that we engage the Lord on this level, allow him to care for us on an emotional level and continue to grow in that way. Yeah? Uh, More on these in the weeks to come. But today I I want you to have the buckets, right? You've got the physical. You've got the emotional. Third bucket is the spiritual. Verse 11. The Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, we started with the physical. And it's, I read that and it's almost like God didn't, didn't even bother speaking to Elijah until he was at a place where he could hear it. He needed his body cared for first. And then there's the emotional. And then finally we come to a place where God speaks to Elijah. And I think it's really significant, the location of this, right? It says that that the place that God led Elijah to for this encounter was Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb, good good number, number of years back, Mount Horeb is where God met a young shepherd in a burning bush and called to him and said, Moses, I have a task for you to do. It was right there at Mount Horeb. It was that same mountain years later when Moses had led the captive Israelites out of Egypt. It's this mountain, Mount Horeb, where God brings them and he gives the Ten Commandments. And at that time, it's not just a burning bush, it's a full light show. Wind and earthquakes and fire. And I mean, it's this whole big dramatic thing. And God brings Elijah there to Mount Horeb. They could have had this conversation after the nap under the broom tree. Why does God bring him to Mount Horeb? Well, try this on. Elijah's struggle in this moment is where is God? I need God to come through in power because the bad guys are really scary and fierce, so I need a big, powerful God to help me out in this. 
God brings him to the place where the other most dramatic power encounter in scripture has occurred, Mount Horeb. And I wonder if maybe part of the message to Elijah was this. The wind comes, the fire comes, the earthquake comes, everything that happened for Moses, but God doesn't speak until all that has passed. And then he just speaks to Elijah in a whisper. I wonder how much of Elijah's expectations for how God was going to use him, for how God was going to grow him, for how God was going to minister to him and through him was shaped by the life of Moses. And God, in bringing him to that place and not showing up in all the ways that he showed up for Moses, but showing up in a way that he's showing up for Elijah. I think the message there, some part of that is Elijah. I don't have the same story for you that I have for Moses. It's going to look different for you. Because you're not Moses. You're Elijah. This is how I'm going to speak to you. This is how I'm going to minister to you. And it's interesting because Elijah, he's thinking that his need is for power. But he's already had this huge, powerful display of God working and it didn't do anything. It didn't move his heart to trust God more. It's not actually what he needs. And God is surfacing that, yeah? Seeing Elijah, I need you to learn how to live out of your story, not somebody else's story. And friends, maybe this is something you can relate to too. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you thought high school was going to be all fun and friends and parties. And maybe it's turned out it's a real struggle. Or maybe you looked at your life and you said, you know what? By the time I'm this age, I'm going to be happily married. And you find yourself and you're like, well, I'm single. Or I'm divorced. Or I'm widowed. Or I'm married. But where's the happy part? Or maybe you thought your kids were going to be this way or they were going to be that way. Or maybe you thought you're going to be in this career and you're going to have this kind of money. And maybe you thought, whatever. Do you think that you can allow Jesus to meet you in such a way that he meets you in your story? Not somebody else's story. Not the story you thought you were supposed to have. Not the story that you wish you had. But in your story. To meet you where you're at. Friends, the Father loves you. The best life that you can picture yourself, it is going to happen in the life you actually have as you seek Jesus first. Not somewhere else. It's going to happen there in the real circumstances of your life. That is where your best life will be found. Can you make space for God to meet you in your actual real life and to grow you there? Now, in our spiritual disciplines, again, we'll, we'll hit these in the weeks to come, but I think here of the enormous importance of a spiritual discipline like solitude, quiet times of prayer, short ones, long ones, super extended, all of this, but creating space where God can speak to us. Meditation on the scriptures. I, I don't think you and I will ever be spiritually mature if we don't spend time meditating on the scriptures, allowing God to speak to us in our life where we're at through that. 
Worship is part of this. Coming to God in word and sacrament and song and prayer and giving and receiving from God in that space is how we learn to follow God in our actual real life. It's a practice, friends. It's a discipline. We develop it as as we live into it in the presence of Jesus. So this too needs to be part of our rule of life. Uh, Spiritual disciplines that help us engage God in that way. Uh, Last one, the final way God cares for us is the relational. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, the word salad there, all these names and people, and uh, da-da-da. Here's the deal. Part of Elijah's complaint was, I am all alone. Remember that? I am all alone. No doubt he feels it, And he believes that this is true. But God is saying to him, actually not quite. I'm giving you two kings, right? You're worried about the king and queen that want to put you to death. I'm giving you two kings and I'm giving you a friend and a successor in Elisha. Three significant partners. And, and by the way, you're not actually the only one. There's another 7,000 that are still on our team. 7,000. You're not actually alone. Here's what's really significant to me about this. At no point in this does God say to Elijah, hey, you don't need everybody else. You've got me. Quite the opposite. God validates the need. He validates the need to be living the spiritual life with other people. God doesn't say, I'm enough, right? And, and I think if we look at the scriptures carefully, we'll see it's been that way from the very beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. Our spiritual existence is always a social existence as well. And so one of the ways that God cares for us is through the relational. And friends, as we think about our spiritual disciplines, our spiritual practices, we need to make sure that there are relational practices that are in there too, not just, uh, not just solo ones. So, uh, you know what I mean, yes? There's some spiritual disciplines that are kind of more solo by nature, fasting, and prayer, and meditation on scripture. Those, those are things that usually we're doing by ourselves. But then there's a whole other set of spiritual disciplines, worship and small groups, and accountability, things where we are involving others as well. And we need both. We need to be sure that there are relational disciplines that are part of our rule of life also. Uh, can I just tell you, this is, this is probably the hardest one for me. Uh, I, um, I, I'm not a great friend. Um, like, I love people well. Like, I'm nice, you know, and stuff like that. Those, 
Those are good friend qualities. It's, it's not that. But, um, but often, I don't feel like I have the energy for friendship or the time. Or it, it will carve too much out of time with family or you know, whatever the case might be. But I'm, I'm not a great friend. And this is one of those areas where I often feel God nudging me and saying, you need to invest more here. You need to give me more in this area because you need people. You need people. We all do. We all do. And so, I mean, friends, pray about this. And as God opens up significant spiritual friendships in your life, Lean in, cultivate those because they are needed and they are valuable. We need these. We need to live into them well, right? Maybe for you that means joining a small group. Maybe it means being more regular in your presence here. Maybe it means picking up the phone, carving out time to get with a friend and have a cup of coffee and to talk about the stuff. Uh, Maybe it might mean more playtime. Often that's what it is for me. I mean, that gets squeezed. I don't have time to play. My life's too busy. But I, I kind of find I'm a better human when I make time to play with friends. I need that too. Right? This too is spiritual. This is spiritual. It's not just leisure. This is part of how God cares for us. This is part of how God forms us. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's a friend for accountability. How would God shape you in the relational dimension of your life with him? Four buckets. The physical, the emotional, uh, the spiritual, the relational. And uh, over the weeks to come, we'll talk more specifically about some practices to fill those buckets. Let's pray.